Chapter Twelve of Planet of the Damned by Harry Harrison. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve. On Brian's desk, when he came in, were two neat piles of paper. As he sat down and reached for them, he was conscious of an arctic coldness in the air, a frigid blast. It was coming from the air-conditioner grill, which was now covered by welded steel bars. The control unit was sealed shut. Someone was either being very funny or very efficient. Either way, it was cold. Brian kicked at the cover plate until it buckled, then bent it aside. After a careful look into the interior, he disconnected one wire and shorted it to another. He was rewarded by a number of sputtering cracks and a quantity of smoke. The compressor moaned and expired. Fossil was standing in the door with more papers, a shocked expression on his face. "'What do you have there?' Brian asked. Fossil managed to straighten out his face and brought the folders to the desk, arranging them on the piles already there. "'These are the progress reports you asked for from all units.' Details to date, conclusions, suggestions, etc. And the other pile? Brian pointed. Off-planet correspondence, commissary invoices, requisitions. He straightened the edges of the stack while he answered. Daily reports, hospital log. His voice died away and stopped as Brian carefully pushed the stack off the edge of the desk into the wastebasket. In other words, red tape, Brian said. Well, it's all filed. One by one, the progress reports followed the first stack into the basket until the desk was clear. Nothing. It was just what he had expected. But there had always been the off chance that one of the specialists could come up with a new approach. They hadn't. They were all too busy specializing. Outside, the sky was darkening. The front entrance guard had been told to let in anyone who came asking for the director. There was nothing else Brian could do until the Nijard rebels made contact. Irritation bit at him. At least Leah was doing something constructive. He could look in on her. He opened the door to the lab with a feeling of pleasant anticipation. It froze and shattered instantly. Her microscope was hooded, and she was gone. She's having dinner, he thought, or she's in the hospital. The hospital was on the floor below, and he went there first. Of course she's here, Dr. Stein grumbled. Where else should a girl in her condition be? She was out of bed long enough today. Tomorrow's the last day, and if you want to get any more work out of her before the deadline, you had better let her rest tonight. Better let the whole staff rest. I've been handing out tranquilizers like aspirin all day. They're falling apart. The world's falling apart. How is Leah doing? Considering her shape, she's fine. Go in and see for yourself if you won't take my word for it. I have other patients to look at. Are you that worried, doctor? Of course I am. I'm just as prone to the weakness of the flesh as the rest of you. We're sitting on a ticking bomb, and I don't like it. I'll do my job as long as it is necessary, but I'll also be damn glad to see the ships land to pull us out. 
The only skin that I really feel emotionally concerned about right now is my own. And if you want to be let in on a public secret, the rest of your staff feels the same way. So don't look forward to too much efficiency. I never did, Brian said, retreating back. Leah's room was dark, illuminated only by the light of Dis's moon slanting in through the window. Brian let himself in and closed the door behind him. Walking quietly, he went over to the bed. Leah was sleeping soundly, her breathing gentle and regular. A night's sleep now would do as much good as all the medication. He should have gone then. Instead, he sat down in the chair placed next to the head of the bed. The guards knew where he was. He could wait here just as well as any place else. It was a stolen moment of peace on a world at the brink of destruction. He was grateful for it. Everything looked less harsh in the moonlight, and he rubbed some of the tension from his eyes. Leah's face was ironed smooth by the light, beautiful and young, a direct contrast to everything else on this poisonous world. Her hand was outside of the covers, and he took it in his own, obeying a sudden impulse. Looking out of the window at the desert in the distance, he let the peace wash over him, forcing himself to forget for the moment that in one more day life would be stripped from this planet. Later, when he looked back at Leah, he saw that her eyes were open, though she hadn't moved. How long had she been awake? He jerked his hand away from hers, feeling suddenly guilty. Is the boss man looking after the serfs? to see if they're fit for the treadmills in the morning she asked it was the kind of remark she had used with such frequency in the ship though it didn't sound quite as harsh now and she was smiling yet it reminded him too well of her superior attitude toward rubes from the stellar sticks here he might be the director but on ancient earth he would be only one more gaping lead-footed yokel how do you feel he asked realizing and hating the triteness of the words even as he said them terrible i'll be dead by morning reach me a piece of fruit from that bowl will you my mouth tastes like an old boot heel i wonder how fresh food ever got here probably a gift to the working classes from the smiling planetary murderers on nijard she took the apple brian gave her and bit into it did you ever think of going to Earth? Brian was startled. This was too close to his own thoughts about planetary backgrounds. There couldn't possibly be a connection, though. Never, he told her. Up until a few months ago, I never even considered leaving Anvar. The Twenties are such a big thing at home that it is hard to imagine that anything else exists while you are still taking part in them. Spare me the Twenties she pleaded. After listening to you and Igel, I know far more about them than I shall ever care to know. But what about Anvar itself? Do you have big city-states as Earth does? Nothing like that. For its size, it has a very small population, no big cities at all. I guess the largest centers of population are around the schools, packing plants, things like that. Any exobiologists there? Leah asked, with a woman's eternal ability to make any general topic personal. 
At the universities, I suppose, though I wouldn't know for sure. And you must realize that when I say no big cities, I also mean no little cities. We aren't organized that way at all. I imagine the basic physical unit is the family and the circle of friends. Friends get important quickly, since the family breaks up when children are relatively young. Something in the genes, I suppose. We all enjoy being alone. I suppose you might call it an inbred survival trait. Up to a point, she said, biting delicately into the apple. Carry that sort of thing too far and you end up with no population at all. A certain amount of proximity is necessary for that. Of course it is. And there must be some form of recognized relationship or control that are complete promiscuity. On Anvar, the emphasis is on personal responsibility, and that seems to take care of the problem. If we didn't have an adult way of looking at it, things, our kind of life, would be impossible. Individuals are brought together, either by accident or design, and with this proximity must be some certainty of relations. You're losing me, Leah protested. Either I'm still foggy from the dope, or you are suddenly unable to speak a word of less than four syllables. You know, whenever this happens with you, I get the distinct impression that you are trying to cover up something. For Occam's sake, be specific. Bring me together two of those hypothetical individuals and tell me what happens. Brian took a deep breath. He was in over his head and far from sure. Well, uh, take a bachelor like myself. Since I like cross-country skiing, I made my home in this big house our family has, right at the edge of the Broken Hills. In summer I looked after a drum-tum herd, but after slaughtering, my time was my own all winter. I did a lot of skiing and used to work for the twenties. Sometimes I would go visiting. Then again, people would drop in on me. Houses are few and far between on Anvar. We don't even have locks on our doors. You accept and give hospitality without qualification. Whoever comes, male, female, and groups are just traveling alone. I get the drift. Life must be dull for a single girl on your iceberg planet. She must surely have to stay home a lot. Only if she wants to. Otherwise she can go wherever she wishes and be welcomed as another individual. I suppose it is out of fashion in the rest of the galaxy, and would probably raise a big laugh on Earth. But a platonic, disinterested friendship between man and woman is an accepted thing on Anvar. Sounds exceedingly dull. If you are all such cool and distant friends, how do babies get made? Brian felt his ears reddening, not sure if he was being teased or not. The same damn way they get made any place else. But it's not just a reflective process like a couple of rabbits that happen to meet under the same bush. It's the woman's choice to indicate if she is interested in marriage. Is marriage the only thing your women are interested in? Marriage or anything else. That's up to the girl. We have a special problem on Anvar. Probably the same thing occurs on every planet where the human race has made a massive adaptation. Not all unions are fertile, and there is always a large percentage of miscarriages. 
A large number of births are conceived by artificial insemination, which is all right when you can't have babies normally. But most women have an emotional bias towards having their husband's children, and there is only one way to find out if this is possible. Leah's eyes widened. Are you suggesting that your girls see if a man can father children before considering marriage? Of course. Otherwise, Anvar would have been depopulated centuries ago. Therefore, the woman does the choosing. If she is interested in a man, she says so. If she is not interested, the man would never think of suggesting anything. It's a lot different from other planets, but so is our planet Anvar. It works well for us, which is the only test that applies. Just about the opposite of Earth, Leah told him, dropping the apple core into a dish and carefully licking the tips of her fingers. I guess you Anvarians would describe Earth as a planetary hotbed of sexuality. The reverse of your system, and going full blast all the time. There are far too many people there for comfort. Birth control came late, and is still being fought, if you can possibly imagine that. There are just too many of the archaic religions still around, as well as crack-brained ideas that have been long entrenched in custom. The world's overcrowded. Men, women, children, a boiling mob wherever you look. And all of the physically mature ones seem to be involved in the great game of love. The male is always the aggressor, not physically, at least not often, and women take the most outrageous kinds of flattery for granted. At parties there are always a couple of hot breaths of passion fanning your neck. A girl has to keep her spike heels filed sharp. She has to what? A figure of speech, Brian, meaning you fight back all the time if you don't want to be washed under by the flood. Sounds rather... Brian weighed the word before he said it but could find none other suitable. Repellent. From your point of view, it would be. I'm afraid we get so used to it that we even take it for granted. Sociologically speaking, she stopped and looked at Brian straight back in almost rigid posture. Her eyes widened and her mouth opened in an unspoken O of sudden realization. I'm being a fool, she said. You weren't speaking generally at all. You had a very specific subject in mind, namely me. Please, Leah, you must understand. But I do, she laughed. All the time I thought you were being a frigid and hard-hearted lump of ice. You were really being very sweet. Just playing the game in good old Anvarian style, waiting for a sign from me. We'd still be playing by different rules if you hadn't had more sense than I, and finally realized that somewhere along the line we must have got our signals mixed. And I thought you were some kind of frosty off-world celibate. She let her hand go out, and her fingers rustled through his hair. Something she had been wanting to do for a long time. I had to, he said, trying to ignore the light touch of her fingers, because I thought so much of you. I couldn't have done anything to insult you, such as forcing my attentions on you, until I began to worry where the insult would lie, since I knew nothing about your planet's mores. Well, you know now, she said very softly, the men aggress. 
Now that I understand, I think I like your way better. But I'm still not sure of all the rules. Do I explain that, yes, Brian, I like you so very much? You are more man in one great big wide-shouldered lump than I have ever met before. It's not quite the time or the place to discuss marriage, but I would certainly like— His arms were around her, holding her to him. Her hands clasped his, and their lips sought each other's in the darkness. Gently, she whispered, I bruise easily. End of chapter 12